Can everyone really lead? What does that look like? Hi, I'm Chris. And I'm Brianna. This is the When Everyone Leads podcast. We're coming from the Kansas Leadership Center, an organization that recently published a book called When Everyone Leads. Leadership is something you do, not something you are. Leadership is about putting the challenge at the center and working with other people, not just taking charge. We've been sent on a quest. This book inspires us, but how do people actually put it into practice? How does this apply to civic issues? What is clear? What is messy and complicated? This is When Everyone Leads on the Performing Arts. Jill Landreth. I am the artistic director of Metropolitan Ballet. I also am on dance faculty at Wichita State University and I have my own dance school. What challenge are you bringing to us today and why is it important to you? I'll give you a little brief background on the topic and my relationship to the topic. I've been involved in the performing arts since I was four and before I was four I remember sitting in the car while my mother was in ballet class. So an entire lifetime of the performing arts, which I'm really pleased to be making a living in the performing arts in Kansas, where one doesn't think that's possible. And I feel that they're very important for many aspects of your life and your education. But it's trying to get new audiences and keep the audiences when a lot of people feel like the performing arts are dying off. Tell me about the performing arts. What's in the performing arts basket? We typically depend on having an audience there viewing what we're doing as we're doing it. So it's happening live as opposed to, say, a movie which is recorded. We have our live audience right there with us interacting emotionally, physically, mentally with what we're doing as we're doing it. Have the performing arts been dying for a while, or do you think that the whole COVID happening just brought it down and it's kind of stayed down? I wouldn't say they're dying. I just want to keep them from dying. Perfect. Keeping audiences engaged, getting new generations in has always been an issue. COVID certainly dealt us a blow. All of a sudden, we can't be in and together. And then people find other avenues like, oh, well, you know, just YouTube. I can YouTube something, which is completely different from experiencing something live. But it's convenient. So we're working against the convenience of I can watch ballet Swan Lake in 10-minute increments whenever I want, as opposed to I have to get up and go to a theater, find parking, go in and sit down and stay there for that amount of time. When it's not particularly convenient for me, it's convenient for the performers, because when can they get the space? As opposed to a movie, you've got tons of options. You go tons of times, many locations all over town. And then eventually, if you don't make it there, well, then you can watch it on some other streaming platform or television. The time aspect of it, where somebody would be willing to take that big chunk of their life to go do literally nothing. We live in such a capitalistic Mm -hmm. society where just going and spending that chunk of time for yourself and enjoying something can be difficult for people to be like, yeah, I'm not really getting much out of this. Well, and also when you say sitting and enjoying something, If you've never experienced it, how do you know if you'll enjoy it? 
I performed in Europe where there's centuries of tradition of people going to the theater. That's one of their activities that they do. The theater I was with had so many activities every day that they had to have alternative performance spaces. The orchestra was going on and the musical theater group was going on all in the same night every day. We don't quite have that tradition, more particularly in the Midwest, of, hey, you know, let's go see a theater piece, let's go see a dance piece, let's go hear the orchestra. So it's trying to get someone to realize that, yeah, they would like it. And, you know, oh, well, I've seen that on YouTube. Well, no, you would like being in the audience and actually experiencing this live, which is a whole different aspect. So it's finding the way to get new audiences while keeping your older audience, looking for venues, looking for new opportunities to get arts out in the common view. Performing arts, the definition that you gave, certainly includes what you do in dance. It could include a lot of other things, oh, like yeah. everything from opera to oh, yeah. symphony. Right. How much common cause is there between those different performing arts? Could we get you guys all down at a table to have lunch and talk about your common challenges? Or do you all see each other as being very different and distinct aspects of the performing arts? We have gotten together in the past and shared our common concerns, scheduling concerns, so you try not to schedule at the same time as another event so that your audience doesn't have to choose so we don't dilute the audience. And we have concerns now with performance venues, trying to get our voices heard on that. I don't think it's, we're all in our own little island of thought, this is my art and you do yours, that we're all interested in each other's arts because we're all stronger when we're all together. Talk to me about this problem of audience and getting audiences engaged. When you think about the challenge of audiences and the performing arts, what concerns you the most? In getting the audience, the concerns I have are people tend to want to go to things that they know the story of. There's a wonderful ballet, it's Capella. Nobody knows the story, so people avoid it. They know the story of Cinderella, so they may go and see it. It's the familiarity, but you also want them to grow as an audience, but if they're not in the building, you can't help them grow. Mm. So you need to lure them in and get them in the habit of coming with things that they know and are less threatening, perhaps, mm. and then start expanding on that. And that's kind of a difficult thing. And then also, you know, when you grow up with the arts, that's what you do with your life, and you go and you look for the arts. When you don't, you never think of, oh, you know, I could go watch a play. I have an opportunity with a discussion that I do uh, to, you know, have you ever seen a live performance and why not? And the majority of them are like, I grew up in a sports family. I never saw, never heard about them, didn't know anybody who was in them. So I never was motivated to go, which leads us to the problem of A, the marketing of it. Well, marketing costs a lot of money. You can look for other venues of marketing, TikTok, Facebook, what have you, but reaching your audience that way. And then you also have the problem of how do you get young kids into performances so that they like, oh, okay, this is great. And we do a certain amount of free performances that are just anyone can walk up to, but they cost us. So again, it gets to a little bit of revenue. One thing that I think about a lot when it comes to ballets and I grew up doing ballet, so I can go to a ballet and I can understand what they're doing with their body and the mm -hmm. story that they're trying to tell. I'm guessing for somebody who grew up in like a sports family or hasn't had that, where 
you understand that a light touches something mm -hmm. in ballet or you understand the nuances of what you're trying to say, do you think that that could possibly be a reason why some people maybe go one time and be like, this is not for me. I did not understand what's going on here. Or do you think that that's like, no, if you go, you're going to understand. You just need to pay attention. A lot of it is not understanding. A lot of people, when they go and they're like, oh, I had no idea that this was going on. Mm -hmm. Okay. Again, it's that familiarity. It's not uncomfortable. You know what's going on. You're fine. It's not threatening in any way. You'd think that it would be transferable. I come from a sports background, so it's movement. And mm -hmm. I also find it's interesting when I get people who are not dancers to try certain movements dancing, and then all of a sudden they realize, wow, that's hard. Yeah. Or, wow, this actually takes something to do. Mm -hmm. Or when I have them try choreography when they're not dancers, because all of a sudden, oh, somebody actually has to make up those steps. Mm -hmm. Somebody has to put them together and... Make it look good. Make it look good. <laughs> right. And they never think to that side of it, too, which is something, you know, that perhaps having a chance to become more familiar with it would be great. But again, if they don't hear about it, how will they know to come? I remember doing musical theater in high school. Uh, mm -hmm. Yes, I was very much into theater, and I went to Northeast, so that was like one of the few things that we actually had. One thing that I was really sad about was that there weren't a lot of people that thought I was cool and th thought that what I did was fun. The only people that ever came were, were my dance friends. <laughs> dance friends and family. Yes. It's, you know, when you, you have some connection to the art form, you know someone who's doing it or... You saw it once, you have a connection, then you're drawn to come in. But again, it's getting that connection. And I feel for my younger dancers because they're not playing soccer. They're not like the other kids. In Germany, you don't go to class, you go to training. Yeah. You know, I tell my dancers, you're going to training. But yeah, nobody wants to look outside of their own realm. I've never heard of that before. I've never seen a musical. I don't want to see a musical because I've never seen one. So, yeah. Or they do too much singing. Can, can, can they give us a plot? Yeah, the plot is in is the, the singing. Song? Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, gee, I like that ballet, but you know, they don't really talk. Go figure. I, I wonder know. why. I Maybe know. they put all of their energy in the dance. Right. There's all different forms of communication. Mm -hmm. and, and we are certainly full of nonverbal communication in ballet. You just have to be able to sit and watch. And, you know, you don't even particularly have to know the story. Mm -hmm. It's what do you get out of it. Mm -hmm. It's just hard for people to go in and go, well, but I have to know what I'm supposed to get. Yes. Isn't there a meaning in this? I was like, but what, what did you think the meaning was? Let's have a conversation about what you thought you saw. And then I can talk about my interpretation. Right. And then, I don't know, maybe you can change my mind. Maybe I did see that. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't see that story unfolding, but you're right. I, that kind of did happen. I used to go and see a lot of dance performances with a friend of mine. And I would be absolutely in love with the piece. And she would, you know, afterwards, like, that was the worst thing I ever saw. What do you mean that was the worst thing you ever saw? That was like, the, and we get this long discussion. I was like, I didn't understand, but wait, it was so obvious. And which is really entertaining for us to share our opinions that way. I love to find people's perceptions of performing arts when they have no exposure. Hmm. I produce the Nutcracker, I direct the Nutcracker and have for decades. At one point in time, I went to see other people's productions. So I was at the Tulsa Ballet's production of The Nutcracker and sitting there, you know, watching. The, 
And there was a little girl who was seven who was sitting next to me who had never seen a ballet before. And she had this running dialogue going on, you know, like the whole. And during intermission, the mom apologized to me. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. This is my target audience. I want to know what someone who has no exposure, what they take away from it. Mm -hmm. And it was the greatest thing. I'm like, wow, this is exactly why I'm here. And, and out of the mouth of the young, you know, oh, they yeah. don't—they don't lie. No. <laughs> when and it she comes was just to that. constant, bless her little heart. Okay, add more dress swirls. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay, got it. When I said audience, another thing is, people have a perception of when I go to a performance, and I'm in a theater, I have to dress a certain way, I have to behave a certain way. It's very stuffy, and I can't enjoy myself. I tell people, wear what you want. And if you like something, show your appreciation. You don't have to wait for the end. You can, in the middle of something, go, well done, you know? And if you don't like something, well, you can think mentally to yourself, well, I didn't like that. It's not really appropriate for anybody. Oh, that was bad, boo. It's a lot more of an engaging atmosphere than people think it's going to be, you know? I want to have you play along with me in a little mm-hmm. thought experiment here. And I'm going to snap my fingers, and suddenly everything that you've wanted to change has changed. Let's just say that that has happened. You have the audiences that you want, and everybody is totally enthused about the arts. To talk to me about what's changed. What's happening now that we've fixed this, that audiences have gotten really engaged, that isn't happening right now? First of all, artists are respected members of the community. People don't go, oh yeah, but what do you do for a living? That it's actually, yes, you're an artist. You have more engagement with the community that becomes more interactive. When you have all of those things, there's your audience, they're thrilled to be there, and it makes the creation of more art possible. With more audiences comes a desire by the public for more performances, so therefore you get to do your art more and bring it to more people. I just wanted to add, because you had mentioned artists being seen as artists, Mm -hmm. and you had also mentioned the Midwestern of it all. So I I would add that artists would be seen as artists no matter where they live. So if they're Mm -hmm. a dancer, they don't have to be a dancer in Los Angeles, California, to be seen as being a successful dancer. But if you can make a living dancing here in Wichita, Kansas, you yourself are also a performer. You're also a dancer. You should not get any less respect than somebody who's doing that as a living somewhere else. Correct. And through all of the performing arts, that should definitely be the way. That sounds like a rich cultural place to live where I'm going to grow and expand as a person as a result of living there. What do you think keeps us stuck from getting there? There's a lot of different facets of that. To some degree you say how much do we spend as a country, as a community on the arts per capita as opposed to countries in Europe on a more local level. Can we make it easier to get to the arts you know, they just changed the parking policy. And a lot of people are going to see that as maybe being harder. It's going to be harder to find parking. It's going to cost me more. That's one more reason not to go. What's the new parking policy? You scan a QR code, whatever. Oh, QR. God. They do have a phone number if you mm-hmm. don't have a smartphone. And it is a per day charge oh. as opposed to feeding the meter. Mm-hmm. So in one sense, you know, when I'm at the theater for a long period of time, I don't have to run out and chuck quarters into it. But Mm -hmm. in the other sense, on occasion, I have to run down and be there for half an hour. And I'm paying for a whole day's parking for that. 
as I understand it. Again, I just read it this morning, mm. but it's changed for all the parking around Century 2. The perception of it is that now it's going to be one more thing that's going to make it harder for me to get there, so I'm just going to stay home. Yeah, so what you're telling me is grandma's going to get confused. She's going to get a <laughs> ticket, and she's not going to want to come back to the ballet next not time. Not grandma, not grandma. Yeah, yeah. You know, in our perfect world, mm-hmm. it would be easily accessible. I can get there easily. The tickets could be affordable, and I would be motivated to go often. Why isn't it so much more accessible and affordable? What keeps it from being that? Well, I know to put on a production, it costs quite a lot of money for theater rental. Your wonderful stagehands, and I love the stagehands I work with, but they cost money. The costuming costs money. The music costs money. Everything costs money, which has to be reflected someplace. So often ticket prices help offset that cost. So you putting on the production, try your best to minimize that cost as much as possible, Mm -hmm. but you do have to charge for something. So it can be difficult to try to figure out what is that good sweet spot where I'm still making money and helping these dancers Mm -hmm. make money as well, paying the stagehands, paying for everybody Uh who's involved in this production but still make it so people want to come and don't think you're trying to jip them out or something because they don't understand everything that has been involved in this. Right, and to me, the arts shouldn't be exclusive. They should be accessible to everyone. And often price, I can't afford to go. And again, then you get to the, I can buy a movie ticket and I have more options of when I go and where I go to, you know, this is when the symphony is playing, so that's when I need to go. So I have fewer options that way. They can all act as deterrents. And trying to remove those deterrents to make the arts accessible to everyone, that's kind of a thing I think about a lot. Yeah, I mean, and that feels like a competing value that we talk about at KLC, the value of making the arts accessible to everyone, which is something that you try to uphold, might come into conflict with the value of funding it and putting on the types Mm -hmm. of productions that you do and you're choosing this to try and make it more accessible at the expense of things that might be more financially beneficial, which is a great choice for society, but maybe a bad choice for the sustainability of the arts in the long term. Right. It tends to be that getting the audience in, which means making the tickets affordable, making everything very accessible, but then how do we pay for all of this? And you think, okay, well, grants or donations. Yeah. And if you get all of these grants and donations and you can do this, but you still don't have an audience, have you gained anything? So you have the financial capability, but no one sees it. At least only the people who can afford to see it, who are the same people who are always going to come to see it and be able to afford to see it. And you're not expanding universe that's, of people involved. Yeah. And so that's when, you know, when I mentioned earlier, you know, you have your old audience by which I mean the people who come all the time and then trying to get a new audience need to find a new way of mentally accessing the arts. Oh, okay. I want to go see that. Or getting younger audiences to come in so they grow up with the habit of seeing it. And that's quite the undertaking. You've got a couple of kids you want to take them to the performance. Well, now we've got to park and walk. Mm -hmm. And now we go in and then we have to sit down without squirming, which is why I like the free performances that we do in the parks because the kids can run around and watch and enjoy and then they get to interact with the dancers at the end. 
but again, we have expenses that are along with that. Who are the people that are currently involved in trying to get people into the performing arts and get those butts in the seats? There are many people who are involved in that. From, for instance, the organization that I'm with, the board of directors, the marketing people trying to do that. People who work with young kids, teaching them like dance. They're involved as well, appreciating the art form. There's art appreciation courses at the university, for instance, which expose you to the arts, and you're like, oh, wait, okay. So there are people on the educational side, there are people on the business management side, and then the dancers themselves, in some degree, involved in, hey, come and see me, Mm -hmm. which is a smaller group to draw from, all in all, but still an important group. Mm -hmm. What do you think these people value the most? I think... Today, people value experiences, but they don't know what they could be experiencing. I know what I'm experiencing when I go to a baseball game. I don't know what I'm experiencing when I go to a musical theater production, a ballet production, or a symphony. What about people that you'd like to see engaging more or differently? Who are these people? What are they like? What do they value? Who are the people that aren't? as engaged, that you'd love to see come? I would love to see your young adult crowd. There are several opportunities where school children can go and see a performance of music or dance. They're brought in by their school, although COVID kind of cut down on a lot of those trips. Mm -hmm. But the younger adult crowd that then when you know they start having families and this becomes the tradition, they bring in their families and we go from there. So I'm going to call it, like, I'm going to go off script. So Good. Bri, it's Bri, usually me. Bri, yeah, it's me this time. So Bree might have to rein me back in. Yeah, but right. like, So I'm thinking about this, this academic I know, a professor named Ron Heifetz. Mm-hmm. He's been very influential about mm-hmm. the ideas that are in this book. He's a professor at the Harvard University Kennedy School of Government. Mm-hmm. I've said it in his first day of class. His ideas are deeply infused in KLC's ideas. And one of the things that he talks about that's always really resonated with me is, boy, we're going to have to edit this if I get it wrong, but I believe that he was a a, a cellist. He was, uh, he played the cello or the violin or something. Like he played an stringed instrument. There you go. Be vague. (laughs) That'll, That'll get it through. And he characterizes leadership as being an art form. The leader is an artist. And if the leader is an artist, then every artist is a leader. And the characteristics that make you a good performer are also the same characteristics that are required in leadership. Because if you're going to be on on a stage in front of somebody, Mm -hmm. you have to hold their attention. You have to capture them. They have lots of things they can look at, Mm -hmm. lots of things they can do, and you have to do something with that attention. But you can't do it all on your own. There's like a bridge or something. There's like something that has to be extended. And if leadership is an art form, then it's not necessarily a science. There isn't a run of things you can do to exercise leadership, just like there isn't a roadmap for doing every dance successfully. And so I'm interested in this idea of the artist as a leader. And how would we think about or appreciate the performing arts differently if we realize that every performance we go to is an act of leadership? Interesting. I've never considered that before. But when you say leadership, performing arts, being the conductor, leading a group together to do something, but even as the individual, yeah, 
and the ability to communicate something to your target audience, whether it be in a leadership situation at a boardroom table or from the stage, it's all about the communication. And are you successful in that communication? Are you hitting like a brick wall and you're not getting through? Then it becomes frustrating for everybody involved. And as an artist, when you're successful, you know what right then. We clap. Mm -hmm. Yay! Standing ovation. Yeah. <laughs> you, you get that immediate feedback, which then increases. So now you know, okay, that was successful. Let me do that again. You lead the audience into what you're trying to tell or into a different world or lead them into a better knowledge of themselves. Are you ready to start putting the idea of everyone leading into practice? Join us for a new one-day program based on KLC's best-selling book, Sign up at kansasleadershipcenter.org. And don't worry, you won't have to listen to my voice or Brianna's voice teaching the whole day. We'll be delighted to have you a part of the When Everyone Leads community. Yeah, have you had one of those moments? When you've led people in that different direction, when you've been that performer or you've been that audience, when you've had that experience of being led somewhere that you hadn't been before. I've had them as a dancer, that's impactful, but I can think of some performances that I've seen that have really led me to a whole nother place, a whole nother appreciation. I saw Judith Jamison in a musical, mm. and there was one piece where she just walked across the stage, and I'd seen her dance, and I know what an incredible dancer she was, but just walking across the stage, and I've never had an experience where the whole audience just was silent for this lady walking across the stage, just the way she did it. I still have goosebumps when I think about it. It was the most amazing. She commanded us. We watched her. There was somebody singing a torch song that was actually standing in front of her as she walks behind. I couldn't tell you what the song was. I have no idea, just the fact that Judith walked. I've never heard there's silence and then the applause because she commanded our respect commanded our attention, gave something of herself, and then we gave something back to her. She led us to a whole nother experience of her as a person, her as an artist, and of the possibilities of the art. Yeah, it's incredible. And I imagine if like, you could have gotten all of Wichita <laughs> in on that experience that they might have a different sense of oh. the arts and the value it would bring to their lives. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I've seen several performances. That one was in New York, but I've seen performances here. I saw somebody who I taught from the time they were four, and they were in a collegiate production. And I just decided on a whim, oh, I'll go sit. And through the whole performance, I was like, oh, my God, she saw me. She knows I'm here. This is great. <laughs> we have a thing, you know? <laughs> and then afterwards, I'm like, you were doing that for me, right? I could tell you and I, and she's like, oh, you were there? Wow. She's like, I didn't have my glasses on. I can't really see past the second row. <laughs> okay, I'm a performing artist. I should know how that's done. And I do know how that's done. It's just that I was so carried away by the way she took command of the situation. It and made then, you feel you were like the only person the only in one. there. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. it <laughs> the presence. Very Yes, it was amazing. And she went on after college. She's still performing, as a matter of fact. Wow. What about That's you, Brie? Have you had one of those experiences where you've connected from the stage or connected from the audience? Connected from the stage. I don't know. Gosh, I know. 
<laughs> going to New York and seeing all of those, yeah. there was like, of course, one or two where it's like, oh, I forgot that I was in a theater. Now, one that d did not happen to me was I went to go see Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. That was one of the ones, and I could not connect with that at all. The turn off the dark one? <laughs> yes. The one where everyone was like getting hurt and stuff? Yes, yes I did. Yes, that was one of the ones. And I had gone because so many people had were getting hurt. And I was like, yes, <laughs> we're going to see some good stuff here. <laughs> and no, it just wasn't the best story. But I remember like bits and pieces of it. Once. Oh. It's a musical. Oh, yes. Once is a musical, and that one, the first time I ever saw it was in New York, and it became mm. one of my favorite musicals. Not a lot of set work, to be honest, not mm -hmm. a lot of changing, but it was a beautiful story, and it took you to where it wanted to take you, and then the main people were so captivating. Just listening to them sing between the two of them, it wasn't a big production. They had like a small guitar and a piano on stage, mm. very low-key and it was one of the best performances that I saw there. And then the very high-key one, Spider-Man, was nothing to me. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So it's not often the money that's spent, you, know, you hope it's spent well. The way you just phrased that, the author of that mm -hmm. was a leader, the performers were leaders, mm -hmm. the audience was, again, leading the performers by showing their appreciation or not showing their appreciation, so everyone's helping each other get down the road and yeah. leading. Yeah. yeah, that's the other thing that happens in a really great performance. It's like we're leading each other. Right. The audience has a role. It's that response from the audience or it's that connection that you feel that helps you do your best work. It's really hard to perform in front of a bunch of people who are not interested in you. <laughs> I think you told me at one point when we were dancing, you had said it to the class oh. at one point, it's like you're dancing with the audience. You want them to give you a response and you're responding to their response and it's literally like you're dancing with them. Yeah, and having been in a production where the audience did not like the production, did not care for the subject matter, and you're still required to be there. And sadly, it was in a very small, intimate theater, and there were no wings. So you couldn't exit. <clears throat> you're just waiting there. And it was when I was dancing in Germany, and waiting for the audience to applaud so you could bow and leave. But they wouldn't clap because they so did not like, and you're, you're so exposed. So what happened was our leader, our director, would lead the audience by sneaking out, going around, sitting, running to the back, and start clapping. And the audience would go, oh. Okay. And it was the quickest bows you've ever seen. Pow, pow, boom. And then <laughs> upstairs to the dressing room. They were lost, and they needed someone to lead them And what do we do now? What do we do with what we just experienced? So yeah, you depend on the audience. Even if they don't like something, your instant feedback while it's going is, let me change this mm -hmm. while I'm right here on the fly so I can get them back. Mm -hmm. yeah. It occurs to me like that's everyone's worst fear in performing arts, but also everyone's worst fear in leadership. <laughs> you try to do something and it just doesn't connect. And you're sitting there waiting for the audience to applaud for the people to do their next thing and they just don't do it. And I guess mm -hmm. we all need someone to come around and go to the back of the audience <laughs> and start clapping. <laughs> so we can whatever that means in leadership. Yeah, yeah, whatever that means in your form of yeah. leadership. Yeah. But I think it keeps people from doing it. It probably keeps people from appreciating performing arts because they haven't been exposed to it mm -hmm. and they don't want to take the risk. And it keeps them from leading because they don't see themselves as leaders or artists and they don't think people are going to respond to them. So they don't want to take the risk yeah. of being rejected. 
Mm-hmm. Where do our opportunities lie for leadership? So many places in the performing arts, out of the performing arts, being able to look at the situation and say, I'm in charge of my actions, so first I have to lead myself. And then how can that help lead someone hopefully for the better? Together, if we both are leading, then you know we have twice the pulling power. Mm-hmm. If we all are leading, we have all the power of all of us combined together to affect change. Has there been a moment that sort of captured your enthusiasm, your energy? There's something hopeful that makes me think, yes, a difference is possible. I'm such a believer. Every performance, every time I see the arts, I get that feeling. Mm. Like, ah, this is what we have potential. We can do this. We're not just trying to survive, but we can rejoice in thoughts and ideas. Every upcoming performance is just another moment for you to have hope. I always have that beforehand, and then afterwards I have that hope fulfilled that, yes, art happened. We made art. We connected in some way, shape, or form with our audience. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, and I know that this is not an ending thing. I'm probably going to cut this out, but we were talking about trying to get younger people into the performing arts, and I know that even when I was younger in high school, there was a lot of talk about cutting a lot of funding Mm -hmm. when it came to performing arts thinking about how there's not even that flood of kids who were doing performing arts that way right. through that funding can get a little bit scary. Yeah, so cutting the performing arts from you know the K through 12 arena, it's, is there money for that? Also, Kansas is one of, what, two states that doesn't have a dance curriculum? Mm-hmm. If they don't have a dance curriculum, what do they have for other instrumental curriculum. This is very helpful. So now I can say the reason I fell short oh, of God. ever being able to dance <laughs> is because Kansas did not have a dance Oh, curriculum. Chris, you can't blame that. <laughs> but you know what? It's never too late. Uh, it might be. <laughs> no, no, no. No, no. You know, there's there's a Facebook dance page that I follow, and we talked about how I do not get on Facebook a lot. But yeah. anytime I do get on Facebook, I'll hop on over to that Facebook dance page because they'll have one-off maybe salsa dances Uh either it's free or like 10 20 bucks for a few hours and you Mm -hmm. can learn with other people and be a chris and and you don't need to be like a professional you can just go and have fun Mm -hmm. take your wife yeah be a good date night true story I'll have to work up my courage, but okay, I will keep cool. it in mind. You'll keep it in the back of your, it, yeah. in the back of your mind. You leave it in the edit. If I oh, leave, I leave it, it in, in the edit. edit. Is that how just, podcasting works? You leave it in the edit? Yes. You're like legally required to yes. do something? Okay. Do you have any anything else before? Yeah. You know, I don't have like a good ending or wrap up. Like, yes, we never you, was this a worthwhile <laughs> conversation? Did we get anywhere? Did anything come up for you? What do you think of what we talked about? made me think of the leadership of the author of the book, how we are all working together for a united strength and solidarity and leading. And by the way, we did a Hitler ballet in Germany where our director pointed out, didn't highlight the concentration camps, but rather that the Germans killed their own who were mentally disabled Mm -hmm. or physically disabled. And our audience was about this far apart. Mm-hmm. And finished wow. to a tape of the Nuremberg trials where we're each one person, I was Rudolf Hess, and it says in German, you know, the actual tapes, not guilty. And then you walk off to the side. Wow. How they, was that experience? Oh, well, see, and because in Germany, the arts aren't dependent on ticket prices. Uh-huh. So we did like 32 performances of this, and it was god awful. 
And there had to be, because there were 12 people in the cast, so there had to be 13 people in the audience. Uh-huh. And the director would be out on the street, like, dragging people in, so we'd have to dance it. Oh, it was critically acclaimed, you know, we were interviewed, we were from <laughs> Italian television, and, yeah. Um, oh, my gosh, it was critically acclaimed. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's so, just... Yeah, and so it, it, literally there was no opportunity for leadership and you're just standing on the side and you can't get to the dressing room and you're waiting so you can bow so you can leave. And you're oh, like, my gosh. I can't gosh. do anything. Yeah, oh, it was hell. So That sounds like hell. It was... I'm happy that you got through it 32 <laughs> times. 32 wow. times. Oh, my God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Been on the dance floor and now we're on the balcony. Seems, oh. seems especially appropriate. Nah, go. How on. long were you waiting for for that joke? <laughs> oh man, now I'm gonna be the dad joke guy in the uh, podcast. Where's the bell? You're right. <laughs> <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, what do we want to talk about? What are we thinking about? There's a lot there. What I was saying before we hit record was it was really interesting to hear it from somebody who is a performing artist themselves. As a disclaimer, I work with the Kansas Creative Arts Industry Commission, so I help fund a lot of this stuff. It's not my money, I just help people connect to it. But to hear it from the perspective of the artist instead of a more administrative voice was really, really interesting, and to hear that connection. And who are you, new voice, who has emerged from the ether to speak during... (laughs) I have the joy of being essentially our on-site producer, maybe director. I have to negotiate that salary. But my name is Julian Montes, and I'm the Creative Services Manager here at the Kansas Leadership Center. It sounds like you've said that before. I don't know. One or two times, maybe? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've even been told that I've said it in ways that I've moved the accent around. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Julian Montes. Julian Montes. Julian Montes. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely have heard you do that exact thing before. Like, that was deja vu. What stood out the most for you? It makes me wonder how we'd feel differently if we were doing this live in front of an audience full of people. Would it be good? Would it be bad? Would we be better? Would I like freeze and not know what to say? Well, the season closer of when everyone... (laughs) (laughs) I actually don't think that I would say everything that... No, I know I wouldn't say everything that came to my mind because then I'd be scared that I'd be offending maybe one or two or three or four or five people. But you might be offending people anyway on this yeah, recording. Yeah, I don't have to see them. You don't them. have to see them. <laughs> I don't it's have to the... see them change their face, their facial expressions to show me that they don't like what I said. And you can just do that in the comfort of your own home while I'm states away not knowing what's going on. Hmm. Please I, and thank you. To force a connection here, that feels like a really tight parallel to just exercising leadership in general. I think we can talk all the talk we want on the couch. Mm-hmm. But to go and exercise and do it is a whole different thing, performative or not. To do the work of leadership in itself is like you got to risk a bit of reputation. You got to risk goofing up a little bit. I was thinking about this while we were sitting there. The times that I've been in performances where things have gone wrong, 
Like I was really dependent on whatever technical skill I had to make it work, but otherwise, it was a messy. If we're connecting at the stuff in the book, it's risky to go out there and put yourself on the line to have something bad happen. And I think there's also a hold to purpose. You just got to keep going. You can't just take one risk in leadership. That's not what taking a risk is about. It's about continually trying to take smart risks, trying to move things forward, trying to keep going even when things get tough, trying to find a way to connect when it's not working. And maybe like one of the reasons people fail at leadership is they either don't try or they give up too early. They take one risk and that's all they have the capacity for. I mean, even thinking what Jill was talking about off the stage, you have to be persistent when it comes to the marketing, trying to figure out how to get other people in the building. Being on stage is risky, but then also having that business aspect of it and caring about the performing arts enough to make it your life, that part is also risky. And considering that artists are one of our biggest risk takers, it sort of makes me think people shelling out thousands and thousands of dollars for leadership training. That's not KLCs. You know, my, <laughs> they're wanting someone to tell them how to do leadership when they might be able to learn just as much by going to performance and seeing what it means to hold the stage and what it means to hold people's attention and what it means to power through and connect with people. There is something to be learned there as well as a leadership class. And if you're only looking in one place for where you're learning, you might be depriving yourself of the full range of experiences that could really make you a leader who can influence your community and organization. I was thinking a lot about the spectrum that was kind of talked about here. There's the people that do the training, mm -hmm. there are the classes. I like the word training a lot more, to be honest. I do too. There are the immediate network of those people that surround us. So if they're children, their parents, their instructors, then there are the people that own the buildings, and then you're lucky in Wichita if you have your own studio space. That was yeah, a the, lot of it is shared space, like yeah, she had mentioned. A lot of it's shared space. There's ballet Wichita. They do a lot of the ballet. Mm -hmm. There's another group that I know about that I follow quite a bit is Baile Wichita, which they do the salsa classes. Mm -hmm. They do the cumbias. They do all of that. And so they do pop-up gigs with like Tumbao. Thing about that is also part of that ecosystem of people. This is part performance and on one part of the spectrum it's like you are part of the performance mm -hmm. know your role and then maybe on more of the ballet side as an audience you play that role too in supporting viewing but the spectrum of what's your role was also just really interesting to me what part do I play here and how do I choose to play I loved when you were talking about equating leadership to performing arts but also adding the audience perspective on what leadership could be. I was like, that is a way that us as audience members can lead. We can choose to find the beauty in what's in front of us. We can choose to get immersed because sometimes those performers are putting all they got out there and we're just not taking it. Now I'm thinking, has there ever been a time even off performing, even if it's just a coworker or something where it's like, oh God, they did like a really amazing job at something. Did I give them that acknowledgement to let them know that they were doing a good job or did I just kind of let it go and expect them to know? Because with dancers, you can't let it go. With performers, you can't let it go. Mm -hmm. You have to let them know. Be applaud when you want to. I got to kick it with some people who had been through the ballet a lot and I was about to start clapping. They're like, you don't clap right now. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but to that end, 
I was actually a bit surprised to not hear about maybe people that existed in that kind of space or that faction of if we're gonna enjoy ballet, there's the right way to enjoy ballet or there's the right way to enjoy this versus just enjoy it. She herself would go to a performance with a friend of hers and they would talk about whether or not they liked to dance. You can have different perspectives of the same piece that's out there and have that conversation. So in the EU Leadership Edge book, there's the things about observation, interpretations, interventions, the idea that art in itself, you observe certain things and the interpretation is there for the taking. Mm -hmm. And that's a really kind of beautiful thing in that context. Mm -hmm. It's a good entry point for understanding the differences because you have the same experience and someone can see something totally different mm -hmm. as you. So it's a way of practicing diagnosis. Whereas when we diagnose in real life, oftentimes the temptation is to say, well, you see something different. Well, you're wrong. It's a little harder mm -hmm. in a performance like that. So it makes it a good proving ground for actually practicing the skill. And there are school teachers who use paintings to teach observational interpretation skills to school children. Where's the ballet for the Avengers? Like, where's the ballet version of that? The Nutcracker. To her point, I think this is where she nailed it. People don't know how to enjoy it. For the same reason why for the sommeliers and fancy wine people, there's people who know, who know how to enjoy a good whiskey. Because some of us just throw it back. Mm -hmm. To that end, what would it look like if we were able to be shown and engage with it? When it comes to ballet, even when I was dancing it, it was a little bit of, this is what this means. And you were told by this hand gesture or by just a simple flick of the foot or something, you're, you're, give, you're portraying this or something like that. And then we're supposed to give it with our face and with our body and put it all together and, and give yeah. that to the audience. I don't even want to say, is there a way for the performer to do that better? Because there's probably not. They're probably doing the best that they can at portraying. Yeah, but, but, but maybe there's a way to lift the curtain a little bit. Maybe there is room for education, like telling people, this is what you're going to see, and this is what's hard, and these are the things that people are doing, and this is what they mean, or doing it after the fact, or working to sort of bridge. We want to give people the space to make their own interpretations and their own sense of things, but also giving them a sense of what they should technically appreciate mm -hmm. about what's being delivered. And maybe there's room for the arts community to exercise more leadership in terms of how they talk about what they do and talk about it in a way that meets people where they are. And who is better positioned to do that than an artist? As a creative myself, granted in a promotion type deal, not so much a dancer, not much a musician anymore, but there are things, but it's also a different language still. To make that translation is a skill in itself too. Yeah, and maybe part of the problem is a performance can be too polished. One of the things that people like about podcasting is that even though it is a performance, there's something about it that feels intimate and personal. Or the videos that we watch on TikTok or YouTube, there's an aspect of that that like, this person is like me. They are making millions more dollars than I am if they're like <laughs> a YouTube influencer, but they're giving a vibe that this is for me. And I think if we want to have people connect with the arts, we're going to have to work to tell more people that this is for me and here's why. I think another thing that you had pointed out, Chris, was how do we know what to appreciate? And the thing that that made me think of was, I don't know if you guys know this, but there are some football players who will take ballet to get some coordination. Wrestlers and they and fighters too, yeah. And they don't realize how hard ballet and how hard dance is until they actually have to do those dances and do those steps. And like Jill had pointed out, there are times when 
there's like the very difficult steps and all you really care about is the fact that the dress is twirling. What we're taught as performers is make it look easy. Well, it looks easy, so it must be easy. So what they're doing on stage is nothing. Like, everybody can do that. No, 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 no. We were told to make it look easy. What's ringing in my head, too, is the same kind of thing that happens with managers, people with authority. I think, in a way, they're, people are trained to make it look easy, too. Mm-hmm. But it's a pretty complicated thing, and I think even if you're lower on the hierarchy of your organization, to think like, oh, that looked like an easy decision. Well, what was happening in the background? Yeah, it just makes me think about what you were saying, to know the story behind the story Mm -hmm. and what to appreciate. I can see that being true for those that exercise leadership and those who exercise authority. Yeah, and maybe it should also be reassuring to us too that you can struggle and be hurt and still not have that come across to people. One of the things we teach in programs when we're teaching people how to teach leadership is this idea of presence, of this idea of staying strong and holding steady in the front of the room. And if we're looking for models or examples of how you need that presence to exercise leadership, then the performing arts is a really great place to turn for, for examples, because that is something you have to do in order for you to give audiences what they're expecting. This has been the When Everyone Leads podcast, co-hosted by me, Chris Green. And me, Brianna Griffin, with production support from Marin Burblinger, Julian Montes, Neha Baruala. Learn more and order a copy of When Everyone Leads at kansasleadershipcenter.org. Suggest a special guest for the full season of the When Everyone Leads podcast. Connect with the Kansas Leadership Center on Facebook and Instagram at Kansas Leadership Center or on Twitter at the KLC. Remember, leadership starts with you. Onward. I just saw leadership happen. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>